Welcome to Heroic Dads, empowering dads to ditch their dad bod and achieve superhero physical, mental and emotional fitness so they live a long, happy, healthy and inspiring life and their kids can't help but boast about them in the playground. For this first episode, we're going in deep. We're going to talk about my 11-year gambling addiction. Be prepared to learn why you should see challenges as an opportunity, how powerful your identity is and how I lost £3,000 in just six minutes. Hello, here we are, the first ever episode of Heroic Dads. I am Tom McGuire and I am really excited to start this podcast which aims to empower dads to ditch the dad bod, achieve superhero fitness um, in terms of physical fitness, mental fitness, emotional fitness, so that they can live a long, happy, healthy and inspiring life and leave their kids with no option but to boast about them in the playground. Now, obviously, there I focus on ditching the dad bod, and I do run online fitness. But I want this podcast to be so much more than just tips and theory around how you can lose your dad bod and become more physically fit. There'll be lots of information, lots of episodes around that. Um, so plenty of value coming your way in terms of that. But I, w- I want to give more. Um, and I want to give you some of the tools that I've picked up over the last few years in terms of mindset, mental fitness, emotional fitness, my recovery from addiction, all that good stuff. So I want this podcast to be of huge value and a much more rounded podcast than just something that delivers fitness advice. And we're going straight in on episode one, quite deep. Um, with how I became a gambling addict over an 11-year period. Um, But before I just get into the uh, detail of how that happened, I just want to give you some context as to why it happened. Because when I talk about um, spinning £1,000 on online roulette or betting £300 on virtual horse racing, you'll probably be thinking, why on earth would you do that? Um, So just to give you some context of why that might have happened, um, I want to start off with something I heard not that, not too long ago, about three or four years from a guy called Isaiah Hankel. And he said that the problem with the world is not that there's problems, it's that people think there shouldn't be problems. And that really stuck with me because I've certainly lived a life in the past where I ran away from problems and fell straight into victim mode, feeling sorry for myself, thinking the world was against me just because a problem arrived at my door. And my reluctance to see problems as an opportunity to to grow certainly... um, 
played a part in me becoming a gambling addict. So I just want to touch on the cycle of addiction and how it works um, and why that's linked to problems. So if we start the cycle with pain, now pain can be anything. Pain can be a physical pain. It can be an emotional pain. It can be an event that's happened on the day. Um, It can be a problem. If we start the cycle with pain, what we tend to do in society is want to move away from pain as soon as possible, not see it as a normality of life, um, an opportunity to grow. We kind of want to move away from that straight away and get some instant gratification. So we find something um, externally, whether that be a substance or an activity, that gives us a temporary release from that pain. Now, that can be gambling, it can be chocolate, it can be um, drugs, it can be shopping, it can be anything. The point is we look straight for something that gives us instant gratification and relief from that pain that we don't want to suffer anymore, and we do it. And we get that temporary release from that pain. Then what happens is once the pleasure of that activity or substance has worn off, we feel bad, we feel guilty, and that leads us back to pain. What we do then, and then this is how addiction is formed, is we associate the external activity or substance with a release from pain. So we turn back to that in order to escape pain at the nearest possible opportunity. And that's pretty much what happened with me and gambling. I didn't want to suffer pain, so I looked for something that would take it away instantly. And gambling never, ever, ever let me down in terms of making me feel better in the moment. So that's some context of why and how it might have happened. And hopefully just hearing that cycle might give you a bit of value of um, any addictive behaviors that you have, any bad habits that you have that you maybe want to address. Being aware of that cycle and understanding what's happening um, is a good way to become more aware of the behaviors you've got and how you could potentially stop them. But I want to delve deeper into how I became a gambling addict. And I'm going to talk you through four dates that span 11 years to give you a story really of how it all happened. Now the first date is the 15th of April 2005 and I was coming up to the end of my first year in university at the University of Wolverhampton. I was studying sports coaching but to be honest I'd gone to university for reasons that I'm still not quite sure of. Um, more fear-based reasons than anything. I came out of school believing that in order to succeed in life, to have significance, you had to pass exams and go to university. And that kind of led me to make a decision on, A, the course that I wanted to do, and B, where I was going to do it, 
I just felt all a little bit rushed and I just ended up kind of picking a course that I thought, well, I'm, I'm decent at sports, so I'll do sports coaching. Now, that's the first point, pain point, if you like, because going to university, although there was some good times at university, um, was a bit of a lull in my life and it lacked purpose and I became bored and that is a form of pain. That is a problem. Um, and I, I struggled to find any activity of value other than drinking, really, that that inspired me or occupied me when it came to my time at university. And then on the 15th of April 2005, I was in my room in the dormitory and I was playing on my mixing decks. And it was about half past four in the afternoon and there was a knock at the door and it was the two Robbies, little Robbie and big Robbie, two Irish lads. Um, And they wanted to know if I wanted to come to Wolverhampton races for the night. And it was a Friday evening and I turned around and said, I can't go guys, I haven't got a suit. That was the level of knowledge I had at horse, of horse racing at the time. Um, because if you've ever been to Wolverhampton races, you'll know that you do not need a suit. As good a place and as good a time as I ever had at Wolverhampton races, the last thing you need to be wearing is a suit. So the two Robbies laughed at me and said, what are you talking about? You don't need a suit. You could go in your jammers. Anyway, I uh, put my best jeans and my best shirt on and stood out like a sore thumb at Wolverhampton races. You could indeed go in your jammers. Anyway, we got there, and I knew nothing about horse racing. Nothing. I'd never really placed a bet. I'd played the lottery a couple of times, but I'd never, I'd never really placed a bet. Um, and the first race came about, and because the two Robbies gambled often and gambled on horse racing often, I kind of followed them, and they put a bet on this horse, um, and I, I copied them, if you like, and it lost. It lost by a, a good way. Um, and then I did something that I wish I probably hadn't now, looking back. I decided to go it alone. And there were six races left after the first race where we lost. And I went it alone and picked my own horses and all six won. Now, if you're listening to this and you've ever picked a horse and bet on a horse and it wins, you know what it feels like. It feels amazing to pick six on the bounce and to win over 300 pounds as a poor student was just elation absolute elation and I'd suddenly found an activity that made me less bored and actually gave me a purpose because daft enough as it sounds one of the horses that I picked was a horse called So Elegant and it was in about the third or fourth race And when the two Robbies asked me who I'd backed, and I said, so elegant, they laughed. 
because they thought it didn't have a chance. And another lad that was kind of in the um, vicinity with us had said, no, that's got a chance that has. So not only did I have the elation of winning, I had the elation of feeling significant in that I knew what I was talking about and um, beating the two Robbies who were identified as the people that did know what they was talking about when it came to horse racing. So there I had a beginner's look, but also I'd found the perfect pastime uh, to get by at university. Whenever I was bored, I would go to the bookies. And at this time, because I was relatively poor, I was quite sensible when it came to betting. There were the, the odd occasion where I spent too much and it felt it felt heartbreaking. But overall, I was very um, sensible with my approach in terms of finances. What I would tend to do, and this is a big thing when you think about how much time I robbed from myself and what else I could have been achieving, is I would go to the bookies about 11 o'clock in the morning and I'd spend all day there. And I'd go with £30 and come out with £35. Um, you know, it, it was a whole day thing for the sake of £5 or to come out with exactly the same money. And that, that was kind of my tactic. I'd try and stay in the game as long as possible because I saw it as a way out of boredom. I loved being in the bookies. I loved a horse race. And what eventually happened in the days in the bookies was the horse races were 15, 20 minutes apart and that was too long for me to wait. And even though I was still sensible with the um, the finance sort of thing, I found, found myself jumping on to the roulette machines um, in between horse races. And I always remember a thing one guy once said to me, he said, stay away from them because they are the crack cocaine of gambling. And boy, was he right. So yeah, I came out of university even more lost than when I went um, because I'd spent pretty much the whole time gambling or drinking. I'd got a degree, but I'd once again learned how to pass exams and assessments. I came out with no real vision or clarity on where I wanted to go in life and on top of that I was in debt uh, to the student loan and I had a gambling habit but nevertheless I didn't see it as too much of a problem. Um, I quickly got employed into an old pot washing job that I'd had before uh, which meant that I had a steady income of money and I had a predictable income of money, something that I didn't have at university. University was very much you got your uh, loan at the start of the year or the start of the term and that was it. So every time I was gambling, that's probably why I was so cautious with it. Now that I had a steady and predictable income, I could be a little bit braver in terms of stakes. And... Quite quickly on my lunch breaks and on my days off, I'd be down the bookies passing time where I'd been putting one pound each way on a horse or one pound in the roulette machine and hoping for the best. I was now putting two, two fifty pound each way on a horse and putting a fiver in the roulette machine. So not mega money, 
but more money than I used to and than I can afford, really. Um, so that's how it started to progress when I came out of university. It was pretty much the same in terms of moving away from boredom, but it was also trying to win some money because I felt poor. Um, I felt insignificant because I'd not really got what you'd class as a proper job. Um, and I needed money to, to fund my my gambling addiction. So my wages pretty much went on gambling. I'd never bought myself any new clothes. I never really did anything. I was living with my mum and dad, so rent wasn't extortionate. Um, I didn't drive. I used to walk to work or get the bus. Um, so pretty much all of my wages, which was, wasn't much, went on gambling. But because I didn't really have any responsibilities or bills or anything like that, it didn't seem too much of an issue. However, gambling is a very progressive addiction. When you start to get used to winning 20 and 30 quid, 20 and 30 quid just doesn't seem a lot anymore in terms of winning. So you you chase bigger wins and that that means that you put on bigger stakes and that means that you need more money and you know I used my overdraft I started getting loans and stuff like that so very quickly it was starting to progress to a point where it was not only becoming a habit that stopped me from doing other things it was starting to become a habit I could no longer afford so I started to look for new jobs uh, which isn't a bad thing uh, but it was all about which job would pay me a little bit more than the last job rather than actually which job would fulfill me in life and give me a career. And I ended up at a job working for an online shoes shop. Um, and there was a lad there that I used to go to school with, a good friend of mine. Um, and we, we got talking about a few things and we started talking about gambling and this brings me on to the second date, which is the 11th of September, 2009. And he was going to um, Doncaster races that day. And so were a few other people that I knew. And so was my girlfriends at the time, family. They were all going. And... My mate at work had asked me, have you got any tips for the races? So I had a look and I pulled out this horse called Dangerous Midge that was running at 14 to 1. And the reason why I picked it was because it was coming over from America and the jockey who was riding it only had one ride of the, ride of the day. And that's, you know... That's not a um, a reason that it's going to win. There's lots of times where a rider only has one day and loses, but I'd kind of convinced myself that that was a reason why that horse would win. So I picked it out, and not only did I give it to my mate at work, I gave it to everybody else that was going that day. I would say around about 50 to 60 people put money 
on this horse called Dangerous Midge. And it absolutely romped home. Won by miles. What came from that was praise, um, significance, and most importantly, an identity that Tom knew what he was talking about when it came to horse racing. So that was an identity that I loved. It made me feel important. It made me feel significant. It made me feel included. And it was an identity that I really wanted to keep going. And in trying to keep it going, I spent a fortune posting my winnings on social media. Being able to do that every day meant that I needed to get a winner every day. And although I made it look on social media like I had one bet and one win, behind the scenes, I was betting like there was no tomorrow to try and find this winner that I could then post or shout about on social media or tell friends and family. But in in deep down, I was just scattering bets throughout the day in the hope that one would win. And quite often I would bet on a horse and it win and I'd post about it um, and make out that I'd won 100, 150 pounds when actually over the day I'd lost three, three or four, 500 pounds maybe. So this was costing me an arm and a leg. But I had to keep it going because of the identity that I was enjoying and I'd taken on. Tom Tom knows about horse racing. He's the go-to guy if you're going to the races. So I needed more money. So I continued to take out loans. I continued to extend my overdraft. And I continued to take on jobs. And I got to the point where I was working four jobs. And it was mad. I My main job was in Barnsley. Um, as an activities coordinator, I'd go there five times a week. Um, I'd work at a youth centre in Doncaster um, on an evening. I would have another part-time job working with offenders every other Saturday. And I'd also DJ on a Thursday night in Lincoln and a Friday, Saturday night in Doncaster. I barely had any sleep from... Thursday morning, six o'clock to Sunday morning, four o'clock in the morning. So unhealthy. It robbed me of so much time, robbed me of so much experiences and opportunities and stuff like that because I was so exhausted. But all I needed to do was get some money in my pocket um, to be able to keep gambling, to keep up this identity. Um, I used to get used to have eight paydays a month, so I knew that if I had a bad day, I could very quickly turn it around because another payday was coming. Um, but yeah, I spent two, three, probably four years of my life balancing four jobs um, just to fund an addiction to keep a false identity going. Now, because I was earning more money. I was betting more, but the stakes were bigger. Um, the winnings were bigger, but the losses were even bigger as well. And I now had rent to pay. I now had a car to pay for. 
and it was starting to get a struggle and I would continually borrow from friends and family and just be catching up in terms of finances the odd time I'd have a good win and be able to pay everyone back other times I'd go the whole month and barely eat um, just so I could pay people back and it was just a constant cycle of unhappiness in terms of financial security and opportunity to have experiences and stuff like that Um, and I found myself looking for for ways to earn or win more money quicker Um, because I was always not nine not a hundred percent of the time but 95 percent of the time when it came to horse betting I was quite reserved with it however as I said before I'd picked up the habit at university of going onto the roulette machines in uh, bookies and that was something that had continued um and I'd got really bad on them I'd lose hundreds of pounds on them and sooner or later a hundred pounds a spin which was the limit at the time in the bookies wasn't enough um and I found online roulette and that's got an unlimited state that or it did have I'm not sure what it is now but you could bet whatever you wanted in just one spin. And I was spinning £100, £200, £500, £1,000, all in one spin. That was not uncommon, Um, which meant that I was just chasing more money um, over and over again. And the thing is, I I could never grasp that it was actually gambling that was the problem. As I say, gambling always took me from the pain, took me away from the pain of feeling poor. It always took me away from the feeling of feeling insignificant. In my eyes, gambling was my best friend. And addiction works like that a little bit. It convinces you that it's your only friend and it's your only way out, when actually it's all the while the thing that's keeping you in the mess that you find yourself in. So anyway, I was... I was losing a lot of money, um, but a positive in my life is that I um, I managed to secure a job in the prison service, which which for once gave me a full time job um, that gave me some real purpose. It gave me a real career, and for the first time in my life, it was a single job that gave me enough of a wage that I didn't have to work three or four jobs which helped and it also helped that there was loads of overtime available which meant that you could pretty much write your own paycheck which sounds great but of course to a gambling addict that's not great at all so I want to talk about the third date now and that's the 27th of February 2015 now March was always the month of the year that I kind of worked my whole year around. It was the Cheltenham Festival for a start, which was a huge event in my social group and a massive event just for me. If if I felt like the Cheltenham Festival was going to get cancelled for, for snow or whatever, the my world would fall apart. It is pretty much every person in my family's birthday between the 9th of February 
and the 19th of April. 10, 15 birthdays. My car MOT was always due. My car insurance was always due. Um, you know, there was so much that went on in March and it was all the pinnacle in terms of gambling on horse racing, which is the Cheltenham Festival, that March was always something that I just focused on. And it was always a vulnerable time as well. And there was no more, there wasn't a year no more vulnerable than 2015. So I'd got so much planned in this March. We'd got a huge plan for the Cheltenham Festival. We were going to go down for a couple of days and then have a couple of um, parties in Doncaster, a, a pub or at somebody's house. Uh, you know, I'd got a lot of plans in terms of birthdays. It just, this whole month of March in 2015 was going to be epic. And on top of that, I had my car insurance and MOT and my rent and stuff like that. And knowing that this was coming up, I'd done loads of overtime in January, which meant that my paycheck in February was going to be big. Um, and I got paid on the 27th of February 2018, uh, 2015, sorry, which is the third day. And I was on nights. Um, and randomly, I got talking to a lad um, on nights who, who said, if you ever need any money, just give me a shout. I can't remember why he said it, but he did. And it stuck in my mind all night. So... When the night shift finished and I went home, I checked my NatWest bank account just as I'm climbing into bed. And there I had been paid. And at the time, um, I'd got paid £2,856, which was an enormous amount of money for me um, at the time. Against, I had no kids at the time. Um, yeah, it was a huge amount. And before I went to sleep, I just said to myself, if I just play the £56 on online roulette, I'll still have £2,800 for the month. And that's fine. That's, that's loads. So I went on and I paid. I played with the £56 and lost it in one spin. Six minutes later, I'd lost the whole £2,800. And my world felt like it was crashing down around me. I had no money to pay my rent. I had no money to live. But most importantly, in my mind at that time, I had no money for the Cheltenham Festival. Now, what's really striking here is that in this moment where I've just lost £2,800 and I can't afford my rent, I can't afford to eat, I can't afford to do anything for a whole month. It's, you know, I'm not getting paid till the end of March. My first thought is not, I need to stop gambling. It's, how can I sort this out financially to be able to continue gambling? And I ended up borrowing £500 from 
three friends, which I'm very grateful for. Um, don't get me wrong. They probably would have been better off not lending me it, but I am very grateful of it. And one of them was the lad that um, said he'd lend me any money if I, if I wanted to. And I extended my overdraft by £1,500. And there I'd, I'd got I'd got £3,000. Um, I'd got my money back in my mind and I could go to the Cheltenham Festival and do what I wanted to do in March. But I couldn't really um, because I'd not got my money back. I just promised three three mates I'd get them £500 back in April. I was going into my overdraft and the cycle just continues. And this just went on. I mean, by this point, it got out of control in terms of um, stakes. There was one time I remember when me and my flatmate at the time, we were having football accumulators and we said we'd do uh, two £10 accumulators and just watch the scores come in with a few beers. Before kickoff, I would put £300 on virtual horse racing. Just unbelievable betting like you wouldn't believe that it just made no sense. It was just desperate, just anything to get a fix. Um, I think we'd passed the idea of it being important to, uh, to towards keeping our identity. It was just the norm. You know, if I was playing roulette and the ball wasn't spinning, my hand would be shaking. This had completely and utterly gripped my life to a point where, you know, I could I was completely out of control. And I was only lucky because I had a steady job uh, that could pay overtime. And I always had a good um, social network around me. I had good family, I had good friends. I had good girlfriends who just must have had patience of saints, the amount of money um, that I lent off them. I lied to my dad about how many um, tyres would need changing on my car and not having enough money for it. It's The stories are endless. I could tell you lots of stories of where I just threw money away, um, th- money that I didn't have, and then lied to people about where it would go- had gone in order to be able to get some back and put some food on the table. So that brings me on to my fourth and final date which is the 24th of May 2016 it's a Tuesday my day off and it starts with all good intention that I'm gonna be productive go to the gym cook some nice food tidy the house get all my chores done nah that didn't happen I ended up having a look what was running And that just ended up with me sat on my laptop waiting for the first race. And the horse racing started. And as usual, I was betting on every race. And I could not get a winner for love and the money. Not one winner, nothing. Just absolutely nothing was dropping. Favourites, massive massive odds on favourites. They just were not coming in. And I had £250 in my wallet. I had nothing left of an overdraft and I was using my credit card. And this horse was running and I fancied it. It was 14 to 1 and I was £1,000 down. 
And I went to place a bet on it, £100, for it to win on my credit card. And my credit card declined the payment. They put a stop to me putting money on gambling. I didn't have time to get to the bookies to put cash on. And I had no money in my overdraft. So I just watched the race. It won by miles. Not only that, but without betting, I called the next six winners. And people ask me all the time, what what was it that made you stop gambling? And it's hard to describe. It's like somebody flicks on a switch and you just turn around and say, what the hell am I doing? What have I been doing all this time? And I I looked, I kind of knew because I'd, I'd looked before and I knew that there was a Gamblers Anonymous meeting in Doncaster on a Tuesday night. Um, so I decided to go. I took my wallet and I took my £250 and I parked outside Ladbrokes about two, three hundred metres away from where the uh, Gamblers, Gamblers Anonymous meeting was. And I looked in the bookies and I thought, I could go in there and win my £1,000 back easy. But I didn't. And I'll never forget the feeling that I had that stopped me from going in. And it was not a fear of losing my money. It was a fear of winning. Because I didn't want another day in my life like the ones for the past 11 years. I had simply had enough. And I went to the meeting um, and it was tough. It was really tough. But there were just people there that got it. For the first time ever, it felt like there were people that understood what I was talking about, that weren't shouting at me. They were holding me responsible, but they weren't shouting at me for losing money. Um, they weren't judging me for losing money. They weren't. They just got it, and that was the twenty fourth of May, two thousand sixteen, and it's the thirteenth of August, two thousand twenty three, when I'm recording this, and I still haven't had a bet. So that's over seven years without a bet. Um, since that day, I I don't play raffle tickets. I don't do anything that constitutes gambling. And day to day, the the act of not gambling I find really easy because it's now my ident- identity, Tom, who doesn't gamble. But there's no doubt I'm still in recovery. There's there's no doubt I'm still trying to get better at things that you know are going to take time, uh, a long time because. 11 years of just gambling and not facing up to the problems of the world is a long time at such an age where, you know, I I gambled from the age of 20 to 31. So pretty much my whole 20s and some of my 30s 
was spent just in a bubble of gambling, um, which is a huge part and an important part of my life where I've I've missed um, developing a lot of the the skills that you need to deal with life, and you know I'm I'm working on them now. Um, as I'm sh- I'm sure we all are. It's a continued it's a continued um, experience of growth. It's it's not about it all being perfect and not not encountering problems, which we we started the uh, the podcast with. I'm in a much better place. Um, I'm in a much better place to deal with problems that arise. I've got a young son uh, called Maxton who's five. I wouldn't have Maxton if I didn't if I still gambled. There's no two ways about it. And he's a great he's a great reason not to start ever again. But I always have to be. Uh, wary and respect the power that it had over me and how quickly it could grasp power over power over me again so there we are there's my story of uh, 11 year addiction of gambling um obviously in future podcasts i'll go into a bit more of the recovery and the tools i've used to um deal with gambling addiction and I'm sure that will prove useful for people that also struggle with addiction, whether that's binge eating or what, whatever. But hopefully you found that useful. If you do want to hear more from me, obviously I'm going to be doing one of these podcasts um, quite regularly. So there's going to be lots of content coming from the podcast. But if you go to Instagram and search at I am Tom McGuire, um, McGuire spelled M-A-G-U-I-R-E, uh, then my whole page is devoted to providing value for dads who want to drop body fat, ditch the dad bod, become a better version of themselves mentally, physically, and emotionally. Um, so please go check it out. Give me a follow. And if you've got any questions around health and fitness, if you've got any comments, um, any questions around gambling addiction, anything that you've heard in this podcast, then please don't hesitate to give me a shout. Hopefully you've found some use in it. Uh, I've really enjoyed putting it together.